have this plug handy. Okay. Just in case. All right. I'm at 93% because I'm, you know, responsible. <laughs> Took me that long to think of the word responsible. <laughs> yes. And to come up with a topic for the podcast to talk about. What's what's your computer battery level at? What's there your you phone go. battery level at? That's relatable. My phone. I just, I just actually just charged it, so I'm at a, I'm at a cool 89%. All nice. right. Nice. Some people prefer 69. I'm more about that 89, baby. I don't know what that means. I will not, I will not inquire any further. Okay. Oh, here's a topic for discussion. Um, okay, I'm going to ambush you with it, John. Oh, when are you going oh, no. back to When are you going back to the movie theater? Um, pff, never. That's my That's my plan. <laughs> I don't. You know, I'm I'm not one of these you know nerds who's like, oh, the magic of the cinema. No, 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 no. I say, I say, bush bushwa to that. I don't care if I ever go back personally. To, really? Okay. Yeah. So, in spite of being vaccinated, in spite mm -hmm. of all the safety precautions we're taking, in spite of the pandemic practically disappearing uh, <laughs> i mean it's almost like joe biden got elected and then all of a sudden we don't have to care anymore coincidence i don't think so exactly you and i know that yes uh the coronavirus was grown in the lab and then released to um to lessen the chances of our dear president uh, donald trump winning um it's a basic it's like a bond movie it's a complete overreaction to what happened four years prior <laughs> um, yes because that, that would have been way easier to stop that election. I don't know why the 2021, we went through this whole uh, global catastrophe and hundreds of thousands dying um, mm -hmm. just to get rid of one guy out of office. But anyway. I mean, can you imagine if they did something to embarrass, you know, former President Donald Trump? I mean, <laughs> the most stalwart human being imaginable. Yep. Unconscionable. But I know. This is the world we live in. Yeah. Uh, John, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that, a, a supposed movie lover such as yourself, because I, I do still enjoy the theatrical experience. I think it's the best way to actually watch a movie, but something's gonna ha something big is going to have to come out for me to actually mm. slip to the theater again under these kind of quasi-pandemic conditions. Um, I, I was hoping I was hoping by the time um, Pixar's Luca came out that I would be fully vaccinated and, and everything would be A-OK, -okay. um, but now that's not even coming to theater, so... <laughs> Well, I'm, is it not even going to theaters, period? Or are they just releasing it for free on Disney Plus, rendering it kind of moot? Like whether you decide to go or not. The, I think the news was they're not doing a hybrid model like uh, Warner Brothers is. It's oh. not like in theaters. As far as I know, it's not in theaters and on the streaming service at the exact same time. Instead, it's either going to be one or the other. And for Luca, or at least for their the upcoming Pixar release, it's going to be exclusively on the streaming service. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's kind. Of, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense with Luca because, again, like those those Pixar movies are just babysitting services, so you can do those. You know, why why make it more inconvenient just to have you know the kids travel to a, a you know cool or, zone or the revelatory experiences showing us the human mm. condition. <laughs> okay, yeah, fish fish boys, call me by your name, <laughs> featuring fish. Call me by the shape of water, more like it. Hmm. <laughs> No, there's going to be also funny body swapping hijinks, and um, <laughs> this is this is also maybe maybe people will learn a thing or two about prejudice. Do you think that's going to happen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I sure hope so. In great physical comedy, always with a physical comedy. John. Of course, <laughs> we can't get enough. Yeah.
When's when's Jacob Tremblay going to be canceled? I'm wondering when he's going to get old enough. He's just going to turn a complete asshole, just a complete brat. Like when's that? When's that day do? Hey, there's still hope. There's Elijah Wood, right? That's true. There's yeah, Sean Astin. So... You know, there's you know Hollywood's produced a few child actors who have grown into reasonable adults. Yes, they can keep their secrets and you know, not mention their. <laughs> Fly under an alias on the Lolita Express, Jeffrey Epstein's plane, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bill Gates wasn't smart enough to do that, and he's the no. smartest man in the world. Come on. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> oh, topical. We love our topics, don't we, guys? Yes, we do. Um, <laughs> hello, uh, listeners from the future in 2023 listening to this, wondering what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> Craig, do you really think that the cultural memory is that short? Like, yes. I think. Oh, I've... absolutely. Yeah. Are, Are you, you kidding? All right. I mean, people still, like, gush about, like, dumb movies like Monster Squad and, uh, you know, Ghostbusters, you know, like, stupid shit like that. Well, that's because they were kids and there was far fewer stuff. Kids of today or whatever, they forgot their last, uh, their side split from the latest TikTok and they forget about it 15 minutes later. Yeah, I guess um, that's true. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I personally, I prefer, again, I'm, 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 all in, I'm all in on the future, okay? I'm like, no more movie theaters. Just deliver it to me in 15-second chunks. That's how I want my movies from now on, okay? Yeah. Uh, what's, what's an even quicker word than quibby? You're, you're going to start You're gonna start the service. Quib, quib. <laughs> Just quit. <laughs> no, I'll call it Q. That's what I'll call it. I'll call it Q. There's no yeah. reason why Q should not be on the internet. Good job. Good <laughs> yeah. job, us. We figured yes. it out. Thank yeah. you, sharks. <laughs> I hear I hear Jeffrey Katzenberg doesn't have a lot to do right now, so let's <laughs> let's give let's get him on the horn. Yeah, and he's a Star Trek fan. He loves he loves the character of Q. There you go. <laughs> Any hoops? Yes. Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, where we uh, adjudicate old movies, classic movies, as a way to uh, fill up our film bona fides, but also uh, adjudicate what what makes a classic a classic. I think this is kind of an academic study. Don't you agree? Yeah, usually we're looking at films that are older from way before we were born and yeah, looking at them uh looking at their merits as our artistic films. Um sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we look at uh contemporary classics, let's call them, and catch up and see what all the hubbub's about. And so this one generated some hubbub recently by by being um what is now um on Rotten Tomatoes, the best um service I think for critical consensus. I think you'll agree. Uh what is now considered the best movie reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes. 100%. 200 plus positive reviews. And um, so, of course, we had to watch It and its prequel, Mm -hmm. um, which technically came out... The original, I guess. It's not a prequel, because it didn't come out after. (laughs) But in any event, I'm talking in circles, because that's that's the kind of fumfery that this film uh, elides. It's, of course, we're talking about um, the film's based on the wonderful works of Michael Bond, the beloved Paddington, and its, uh, its successor, Paddington 2. Hello there. Mary. Oh, hello. Coming down in stair rods, isn't it? Uh, yes. Mum. Uh, I hope you don't mind me asking, but shouldn't you be at home? Oh, yes, I should. But I haven't quite worked out how to find one. Well, where are your parents? Oh, they died when I was small. Here we go. All I have left is my aunt. And where's she? Darkest Peru, in the home for retired bears. Yeah, of course she is. How did you get here? I stowed away in a lifeboat. Cool. And ate marmalade. Did you know bears like marmalade? I didn't even know bears could talk. Oh, well, I'm a very rare bear. There aren't many of us left. And what are you going to do now? 
Well, I thought I would probably just sleep over there in that bin. That's the spirit. Anyway. Dad. Now, I, I was fearful here because mm -hmm. um, th this is a this is a true comeback story. This is a true success story. Um, because famously, Paddington um, had an actor, the, the voice of Paddington replaced in post-production. Oh, they were putting the film together and they didn't realize it would work. And uh, th they realized it wasn't working and so they replaced him uh, afterwards. And then it was released in the United States in January. Usually a dumping ground. Usually a, land, a cinematic landfill. P.U. Get out of here. Um, and looking at the promotional materials, I know you and I don't j usually judge movies based on their trailers. Um but uh, I was looking at the trailers and, and I was trying to express how it made me feel. And I feel like um, Werner Herzog already did that with this classic quote. I, I see the air as I see nothing. I see no kinship. I see no, I see no empathy. <laughs> Just a passing curious, uh, interest in food. <laughs> yes, uh, looking, but... looking at the promotional material, you know, you, you get those execrable Peter Rabbit movies that came out two years ago. And there was, it was a possibility that this, this could have very much been those as well. But uh, no, apparently they, they're quite a surprise that they kind of maintain their, their whimsical tone. Um, and no, no, not too much uh, pop culture references or not too much uh, uh, kind of contemporary jokes or co contemporary references, I would say. Yeah, you used the perfect word there, John, whimsy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the... the, the, the Damn it, you know, we don't like to go with the consensus. But the critics are right. This movie is just overloaded with charm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the second one, I mean, I don't want to go, I don't want to laboriously go through the first one and the second one. I think we're just going to have to talk to both of them in tandem. I think the second one works a lot better because it kind of has taken that whimsy and kind of refined it a bit. Because the first one, it kind of certainly feels like just anything that we can have stick to the wall. Now, granted, it's not like, you know, wall-to-wall -wall, like ridiculousness. But there is like a lot of different kind of types of gags. The one that kind of like sticks out in my head is, you know, like are we going to send him to an orphanage and then smash cut to, you know, this gothic like idea of yeah. an orphanage with a lightning strike and it illuminates the sign orphanage. And then, uh, you know, the, the Mr. Brown, the, the patriarch of the family says, no, no, we're going to send him to an institution that's designed for children of, you know, deceased parents in their care. And then obviously it does the same smash cut, but now the sign has been replaced with that that joke kind of stuck out to me because that's the only one of that type in that original movie and so that's a, yeah that's an american sitcom cutaway gag like, yeah yeah and it, and it definitely feels like the first one is just kind of like all right we've got a, a dollhouse aesthetic like literally we'll have like a few scenes where it's like the doll we'll mm -hmm. zoom into a dollhouse and we'll show everybody kind of like zooming around the dolls and then we'll have uh this this caribbean inspired band that just follows paddington around who's just there wherever he is doing a song that's relevant to whatever he's learning exactly um, exactly like the drummers in birdman it was a reference to birdman the part, the, uh, the oscar winning film <laughs> yeah so like the first one definitely feels like it's just trying everything and then the second one it kind of does all the same things but it just feels a little bit more refined a little more carefully kind of placed and maybe it also has something to do with the story structure because now the story structure for the sequel as many sequels are better because you get rid of all the superfluous like oh the setup oh how did he get to london you know like what how did he get his name smh shaking my head john completely disagree <laughs> um i think paddington is the original one is superior to Paddington mm. 2 because of the amount of whimsy that's that 
goes on. We should probably explain that yes, um, even though I wanted to, even though I'm lazy and just wanted to watch Paddington Two, you insisted that we watch both films, um, which you can't stream. Unfortunately, we had to rent them. Mm-hmm. And um, Paddington, all that money is going to its original distributor, the Weinstein Company, John. So you Ooh. made sure, Ooh. yeah, you made sure that money went to the Weinstein Company. Thank Ooh. you, John. I, I know you want to support your friends Harvey and Bob. So um. look, he's gonna die in prison any day now, guys. Okay, <laughs> he knows where the bodies are buried. He's he's not gonna make it. He's not okay. long for this world. Okay, great. That makes me feel so much better about giving them my money. I, th- I think it's the fact that even in the establishment, like, yes, it's a little bit more um, scattershot in terms of the amount of jokes that they're trying to tell. But, like, somehow I found all that whimsy completely winning. Like, not in a, not for a second in either film does anybody note it's unusual that, an, that a bear is speaking English here yes. in this situation. <laughs> like, and, and I thought, like, it would be more conventional in terms of, like, um, we start in Darkest Peru. Mm-hmm. Um that's where uh, uh, Paddington, the bear, like makes his home, and then he travels off to London because he met an explorer there, and he wants to meet him many years later. The uh, explorer has long passed, and I thought it was like, okay, there's our magical world of the forest, and now we're going to meet the real world. Like, what what would it look like if there was really a bear, like in the real world, like mm-hmm. a, like a little, little cub or something? Um, and and obviously it would like freak people out. No, there's never a moment of that in either movie. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> and which, again, like there's also the the just the pure kind of zaniness that's going to happen when a wild animal who doesn't really understand how this world works gets involved in shenanigans these movies are also full of shenanigans it's just yes it's, it's chock, a, chock a block full of shenanigans but it's not like it's not you know as a result of something obvious like oh my gosh there's a bear in the barbershop we need to get out of here <laughs> it's it's more like you know it's more character driven it's the fact that he is innocent he's you know he doesn't really know what he's doing and so as a result he kind of gets into mischief and so as a result i think yeah that's working more because it's more character driven as opposed to like plot i guess but it was my even though i find the the movie is incredibly charming Mm -hmm. and very funny like i did laugh out loud several times during both films but all of those jokes never centered around paddington was the thing. Mm. <laughs> All of the jokes were um, centered around just the scenario and the human characters. Like, I love the opening when we do see this, like, uh, old 30s newsreel of the explorer venturing in darkest Peru, and he's designed to look heroic, and he said, like, I came with the stuff only that uh, an explorer needs, and then he's followed by a crew of, like, 15 people <laughs> carrying, like, a grandfather clock and a, and a drafting desk, and yeah, obviously stuff he wouldn't need. Like, th- those are the jokes, those are kind of the silly jokes I love, and also in Paddington 2, when, um, the parents are forced to infiltrate um, the home of the villain, and he like catches them right away, and they have to like feign like, oh, if we're actually doing an inspection or whatever. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Again, none of that has to do with Paddington, which is more, which is more around. Um, 
yeah, you're right. His it's not just it's not just a bear is in the real world. Instead, it's about like his naivete um, in these situations, particularly the second one when it's all around prison and <laughs> he forces everybody to wear pink costumes and butts up against his foil, Knuckles McGinty. Um, <laughs> That's Knuckles with an N, played by yes. the, the brilliant uh, Brendan Gleeson. Yes. The inimitable Brendan Gleeson. I want, I want his hat because after he breaks out, he gets like that classic kind of like you know like newsboy esque, uh, yeah, yeah, like Irish cat. But it's like it feels like even for his massive head, it's like three sizes too big. I'm like, I want that hat. It would look like a sun hat on me. <laughs> oh, well, in that case, it's very gritty. Oh, and lumpy. And as for the bread, need I say more? I think we need to completely overhaul the menu. Now, I know we're working to a tight budget, but we could at least add some sauce. Oh, sorry about that, I'll just, uh... Hmm. No, that's just rubbing it in. Don't worry, I know what gets ketchup stains out. Hang on. Was it mustard? Hmm, no. That's just made it worse. Does anyone know what works on ketchup? Chaps? Forget the medic. Better send a priest. You listen to me, you little maggot. Listening? Nobody criticizes my food. Right. Nobody squirts condiments on my apron. Got it. And nobody bonks me on the head with a baguette. No bonking. I'll overhaul the menu, all right. Really? Dish of the day? Yes. Bear pie. I don't like it. But yeah, I mean, I I think the overall charm is because the jokes are good, like the the characters are all very well drawn. I guess there's we'll talk about Nicole Kidman as the villain in the first one. Maybe that's maybe that's one a little thin. And the other reason I didn't like Paddington Two is because they didn't eliminate the worst character, and that's uh, Peter Capaldi as the nosy neighbor, Mr. Curry. Um, see, no, no, see, that's the problem. You're looking at these all wrong. I viewed both these movies as the story of a heroic man named Mr. Curry who's trying to stop <laughs> a menace in his neighborhood, okay? <laughs> trying to maintain law and order, okay? There's there's some moral ambiguity here that these these stories are really exploring because I th- I'm, on, I'm on Mr. Curry's side. Mr. Curry's right. There should not be a bear in the neighborhood. And he's causing nothing but trouble, nothing but grief. <laughs> no, there, there, A, two problems here. One, Peter Capaldi doesn't swear, and that should be his greatest strength as an actor. <laughs> Because obviously he's in a family film, but two, I I do worry about him and um, Hugh Bonneville, and they they act as if they're like acting out for children, and so it's a very exaggerated, and it feels like it's it's either like condescending or acting down to the material. Whereas my preference for a film like this, say like the movie Babe, um, oh uh, James, uh, I'm blanking on his name, the um, head farmer Hoggett, what uh, oh James uh, Cromwell. Cromwell, Cromwell, yes, Cromwell. yes, yeah. yeah. James Cromwell, like, you know, kind of st- stays completely, like, within that human character. Like, there's no, like, well, I'm not, he's done it in our house, and that's final. That's what kind of Hugh Bonneville and Peter Capaldi are doing. Um, the rest of the cast is much better, uh, particularly Sally Hawkins as a matriarch of the family. Like, she's she's a, she's great. She's amazing. Um, well, as, was, well as, as well as Brandon Gleeson, the aforementioned The recurring character I was most disappointed in was... Jim Broadbent's Mr. Gruber because I think he's the most cartoonish because he's he's putting yeah. on this like very fey German uh, affront and I was just like uh, Jim Broadbent's it's, better than this. Wait, wait uh, oh is he? Wait, yeah, you're telling yes! me you're telling me Jim Broadbent is playing a cartoony character? <laughs> Excuse me, Professor Slughorn? Yeah, he's he's a man who you know carries dark secrets. Okay. 
Yes, like all his characters in um, in Cloud Atlas <laughs> and Moulin Rouge. I've, okay, I've never seen those movies, but again, like you know, like at least in Moulin Rouge, from what I can tell, you know, again, he's conflicted. He's like, oh, he knows the right thing to do, but he can't. So you know, there's like some conflict there. Here, Mister Gruber's got nothing. He's like, I have a pop up book for you. I don't. They don't call it a pop up book. What do they call it? What, like I, I, I don't know. I was about to say popper. That's not right. Um, <laughs> you know, like how they call an elevator up down box. They call it like yeah. a pop up book, like a like a, a magical po- folding machine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't remember the Britishism for that one. Um. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the MacGuffin kind of. I I will give credit to Paddington Two for having like a a unique story and and making more sense of like as you said the dollhouse aesthetic. Like yeah. there's a great reveal in the pop up book where. Um, Again, this is this is what motivates uh, Paddington to get his aunt, who's now an elderly bear, at the home for retired bears. I'm glad they <laughs> that could have been mine for like cynicism, like oh, there's no home for retired. But um, then it, then it's as if we like fly into the pop up book and they're really seeing all the sights of London in this like kind mm-hmm. of Erzatz 2D pop up book way. Yeah. Um, and that's and so, a more appropriate than like the kind of doll uh, dollhouse version of it in the first movie, which is just like after they've set up that you know. Paddington moved in. We just cut to the dollhouse, and he's like, "I wonder what everyone's doing." And then it just kind of zooms in to the dollhouse, and we see all the characters interacting as if the dollhouse is a perfect recreation of the house. So I thought the pop up was was much more kind of well done and well integrated into the story. So, yes. yeah. but but John, here's a, here's a problem with that. What? Because in Paddington Two, I felt like there was more uh, dimension to the characters and all the conflicts they want to go through, like. Uh, there are obvious ones like Hugh Bonneville's character is an insurance adjuster and obviously doesn't take risks and so yeah, of like, course. it's obviously a huge risk to adopt a, a wild bear regardless <laughs> even if he speaks English and wears a raincoat and a big red hat and wellies um, yes <laughs> Although I do love the mayhem scene, like the first initial mayhem scene, like part of yeah. the, the contrast is he's trying to get an adjustment on insur- insurance claim just in time before all the water floods is apart. I thought that was really cute. Exactly. And that's better than its its accompanying scene in Paddington 2. It's better than the barbershop scene. Where, like, oh, suddenly I'm in a barbershop. And like, uh, I'm well, a ju- setting I'm... up the judge. That was the purpose of that scene. After, okay. like, Yeah, I was thinking the same thing as I was watching it initially. But then I'm like, oh, he's the judge. He's going to be the foil for the rest of the movie. But who's going to... Who walks in like I, I won't look at my barber i i i demand you get done right away square straight away it's that children's that's, movie it's a children's that's, movie that's strange credulity in my movie about a talking bear okay <laughs> okay fair enough mushy brained what's going on why, why are you looking at me like that it's awful hot in here are you hot i'm hot did I leave the oven on? It's called a hard stare. Aunt Lucy taught me to do them when people had forgotten their manners. And what haunts me is that in all the faces of all the bears that Treadwell ever filmed, I discover no kinship, no understanding, no mercy. I see only the overwhelming indifference of nature. To me, there is no such thing as a secret world of the bears. And this blank stare speaks only of a half-bored interest in food. It, it felt like the the character motivations were better in this one. Like you have the young daughter who's um, uh, who's uh, going through adolescence and falls in love with a boy named Tony. Um, yep. You've got uh, obviously the son who wants to do, who wants to take risk. He's like a little engineer and wants to do stuff with rockets when his dad obviously forbids it. Um, like those stories, I thought were like. 
better. Whereas in Paddington 2, it's like the most obvious stuff. It's like, oh, here's my neighbor who's going to lock himself out of the house. I wonder how this will pay off. Um, yeah. Here's my other neighbor who's like on the who's on the uh, the garbage truck. I wonder how this is going to pay off. Like, well, it's more yeah, it's more obvious too going to the climax because it's like. But it's also, like, I kind of appreciate the fact that in the second one, it's more set up. So, you know, again, like, each of the four characters have something that they're kind of introduced to in Paddington 2. Uh, Hugh Bonneville wants his character, uh, Mr. Brown, he wants a promotion. He, he's feeling like, you know, he's he's reaching his midlife crisis. He feels like he's, he's reaching his peak. And so yeah. he's like, he wants to be young and vivacious. So he's like dieting. He's trying to exercise more. That leads into the climax where he has to like prove himself to be a man. And there's this whole complicated train sequence. Uh, next is the uh, son. The son is really into trains, but he doesn't want to admit he's, you know, into trains. Cause now he's like a growing adolescent. The trains are uncool. So, you know, obviously in the final climax with the train, he's got to, you know, prove it, you know, show his train knowledge because he actually does like trains. God damn it. But, but he, Here's the thing. See, like, you have one character who has to prove, like, you know, there's that old um, adage, like, want versus need. That's what fables are about, right? Yes. And it's like, and it's like, it's as it's as if um, Hugh Bonneville's character isn't proven wrong or whatever. Like, he doesn't he doesn't adopt the role, or he doesn't face reality of being a man in his in his fifties now or something. Uh, I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah. He's he's the one who has to like you know merit that. Whereas the son, he's the one who kind of. Has to real again. It's it's too obviously set up. It 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 made me roll my eyes. I wasn't as compelled. It was like oh crap. Like we we have a climax on a train. How the hell do we have the family drive a train? Like well, it's like they're working backwards or something. That was yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess my only problem with the second one is just the story. While it is kind of more interesting, just kind of separates Paddington from the rest of the family. So their stories are just like they feel so disconnected. And I really, yeah. even though like the jailhouse scene is obviously like whimsy at its max you know yeah. you've got these pink costs although i was getting kind of a lot of grand budapest hotel vibes and i'm like <laughs> mm, someone's been copying west anderson's homework but you know even though it's the most whimsical i felt like it was like lagging because i'm like all right we're not really moving the plot forward yes we have our little interstitials where um hugh grant is trying to find the clues and those are all very funny but again it's like you know you've got three different plot points happening at the same time and none of them really feel connected until we get like you know the lowest moment which is they in investigating they miss their visit day with paddington their monthly visit day and then it's like it feels like you know a lowest moment because like again paddington's uh uh naivety has proven him right you know or like yeah. proven him wrong you know it's like oh the family is gonna forget about you like yeah. they are you know you are gonna be here forever so and it drives choices in the narrative because then he that's what motivates him to make a choice to escape prison rather than sit around. Yeah. And then later it motivates him like, oh, I've got to go meet the family again instead of escape to another country with Knuckles and his cohorts. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's fine. Well, John, I will agree with you there that, yes, like when the movie's bifurcated like this, like it, it's a kind of the same problem in in Paddington 1 where we're just following Nicole Kidman's villain. Like I was, yeah. I was less compelled there. And Peter Capaldi, their stupid romance. I was just, I was just like, when, when are we going to get back to Paddington? Um, <laughs> well, it's like, and again, like her characters, she's obviously vamping. She's like trying to do Cruella Deville, but it's not yeah. as good as Cruella Deville. So it's just not, no. it's not really working. She's like Nicole Kidman's trying her best, but it, yeah, it's pretty thin. Which for a campy character, you know, sometimes it works, but for in this instance, it, like not especially compared to Hugh Grant's fucking no. character. <laughs> that's it, that's what I was going to say. That's yes. how you enhance, even if the the, the storylines aren't intersecting. You do have to, you know, replace it with something better. Yes, and that's, and that's what we get to, and that's Hugh Grant's just wonderful vision of a <laughs> of a character. 
<laughs> in Phoenix, in Phoenix Buchanan. Yes, <laughs> the ultimate prima West End prima donna. Yeah. <laughs> Who can only do one-man shows because he simply refuses to work with anybody else. <laughs> with anybody of a lesser talent, obviously. <laughs> so obviously he's got his little scheme where he's like, he's, the the pop-up book apparently has clues to a treasure. So he's he's going to, so again, it's not even connected to Paddington. He's no. he's blamed it on Paddington. Like Paddington is just the cat. Well, like, it's connected in that they both want the MacGuffin for different reasons. Yes. Like, yeah. But again, it's like you know he's not even aware of Paddington until like the third <laughs> act. So, but it's still funny, you know, going like again these zany antics, these little like these mini little um, uh, these mini little heists that he's going on where he has to dress as a nun. He dresses as a bee feeder. Like it's all very mm-hmm. cute. It's all very cute. And again, like Hugh Grant is great. He's, he has a layer where he has all these costumes from his parts as. Uh, Macbeth and Hamlet or whatever, mm-hmm. and does these silly little voices, uh, Hercule Poirot or whatever, and Scrooge, talks Scrooge talks, yes, and talks to himself. That's that's great. <laughs> yeah. And finally, E. It works. I think when people say like, "Oh my God, Paddington's the best," I think what they're remembering is Hugh Grant's performance because well, yes, that does certainly elevate the movie. No, no, yeah. no shade on Nicole Kidman; she's trying her best, but again, yeah. it's pretty—it's a pretty forgettable role in that. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's a—it's a writer's problem. Well, it's—it's not—they're not just remembering all the cute little scenes centered around the prison. They're not just remembering Hugh Grant's performance; they're also remembering the ending and. As you and I found out a lot on this podcast, a strong ending can can redeem a lot, and so um, uh, I think it the the one in uh, Paddington is little is a little forgettable because they're just running around a dark museum, and uh, yeah, there's a payoff, there's a slight payoff with the pigeons, like yeah, but um, in terms of Paddington with the steam train steam train race, and I don't know, like there's a there's a heavy darkest moment. It looks like Paddington's gonna drown. That felt a little heavy for a for a whimsical kids film. Uh, well, it's also poor Sally Hawkins. You know, she had just complete like I was reading the trivia. She had just completed doing Shape of Water. She's like, oh, thank God, I can do a normal movie with no, you know, tanks. And it's like, oh yeah, for the final climax, you're gonna be underwater for like 15 minutes. It's like fuck. <laughs> yeah, and also. Again, feel like working backwards. Like they said, she wanted to swim the English Channel, but this requires her to dive, not swim. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Also, is that even like really a, a an impressive thing that like Brits and French people even do anymore? Is that like because it's been done to death? I feel like. Listen, <laughs> it's it's like the Boston Marathon, or it's just an engine for midlife crisis stuff. Okay, okay it's still an impressive enough. feat. All right, I, I guess you're right. Yeah. I mean, if you told me that you swam the English Channel, I think that was the most impressive thing about you. I mean, I, I just think it's easy. Like, I could do it, like, <laughs> tomorrow if I really wanted to. If you could give me a plane ticket. Like, you know, it's just the cost of it. That's the only thing that's stopping me from doing it. That's all. Yeah. No, John, you swimming from Florida to Cuba. Now, that's it. Yes. That's, now, that's, that's, that's four times as long. Twenty twenty-two goals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> sharks. No sharks in the English Channel, as far as I know, so... 
<laughs> Maybe I'll swim by one of those swimming piggies from that island that Pablo Escobar used yes. to own. <laughs> I don't know if that's any anywhere close to Cuba, but whatever. I, yes, Pablo Escobar, that famous Cuban. Um, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Cuba's in the Caribbean, right? <laughs> anyway, on to, on to the climax. Um, yes, uh, all things resolved, all things well, but... Um, as all great movies sh- uh, should, Benny to Do ends in a musical number. <laughs> and that is after Hugh Grant has been locked away, he finally finds his perfect audience, a captive audience. Yes. <laughs> and, then to... <laughs> and uh, like, it's so, it's insulting, frankly, because it's like, <laughs> why? He, it's, it's, um, it's an amazing production. It's, it's a great song. It, like, it's well, it's awesomely choreographed. And they're tucking it in the picture in picture behind the credits. And I am just so frustrated i'm like yes and have this be the final scene and then roll credits don't roll the credits next to this this is insane this is insanity what you're doing right now i hate it i hated it i think you can watch it in full in high definition on youtube i think well, that was maybe that was the intent <laughs> yes. to get to draw butts into seats via a, a, a little uh teaser like the first six minutes of uh, the dark knight or something there you uh, go yes <laughs> Or the or the pilot episode of Zoe's extraordinary playlist or whatever. I, yeah, you know, give away more and then less. And yeah. yes, thank you for everything you've done for us. Yeah. If it wasn't for you, we'd never have met. You helped me pass my exam. I would be permanently locked out of my house. <laughs> I'd say you've rather a lot to be proud of. Yes. And when we heard that the police wanted the popping book for evidence, we thought we'd find Aunt Lucy another present. So we all clubbed together. I pulled in a few favors from my old Air Force chums. And we think she's going to love it. But what is it? You wanted to get that book so Aunt Lucy could see London, didn't you? It was always her dream. Well, we thought, why look at London in a book when she could see the real thing? Why don't you go and answer that? But yes, it's it's wonderfully done. Um, again, these movies are I I you know you know how much you and I want to be uh, cynical and uh, contrarian and go against the grain. But no, these movies are incredibly winning and very funny and yeah, just 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 bursting at the seams with charm and and I'm I'm kind of um, upset and jealous of how like uh, wonderful they are. Not jealous because because to be to be fair, they aren't great art. They aren't high art. I don't think like. They achieve. If we're going to compare it to other family films, they don't achieve the heights of, say, uh, Pixar in the 2000s. Like it's not Wall-E or Up or you know mm-hmm. Ratatouille and stuff like that. Obviously, that's <laughs> that's on like a different level for like adults to enjoy. This is just like um, I don't know. This is like the best babysitting I think you could possibly have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, like there's that common criticism where it's like just because you're making something for an audience of children does not necessarily mean it needs to be bad. 
or it's yeah. like you don't have to lower your standards. And I think Paddington, it, you know, especially, like I said, compared to like Peter Rabbit, like garbage like that, <laughs> you know, uh, like there, there's definitely truth in that. And I think that there's a lot of craft on display and again, a lot of creativity, a lot of, of, lot of visual imagination. So, you know, kudos for that. Story structure wise, I think it, it falls a little flat. Characters a little thin, but you know, they're, they're, they're trying, they're trying. So, yeah, I, um, yeah, well, to, to go with like the trying thing, mm-hmm. I think yeah they felt this uh, kind of motivation to do right by the material, which may be something that's missing from like Peter Rabbit or <laughs> or let's say like other more cynically minded project products, um, big studios because this is this was produced by they call it an independent studio. Canal is like the biggest um, <laughs> biggest studio yeah. that's in France and in England. So yeah, to call it independent, but um, yeah, it's it's heart is is there. Like you mm-hmm. see the heart and effort on screen. It's 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 really well done and that's the one of the things that confused me like i i told you last year about you know the film radioactive which is you know marie curie played by rosamund pike a english woman i'm like how did they let this fly and then here we go paddington one of the most celebrated english creations of all time you know done by french people this just doesn't this doesn't sit right with me so john I don't they're know. in the spirit of cooperation okay agent court mm. is over it's been like a it's been uh almost a, a, a millennium since uh the battle the battle of whatever william the conqueror came over whatever that battle was I yeah but we have brexit now they don't they never have to talk to each other ever again it's <laughs> they've they've walled up the channel it's done <laughs> never again god that that's a hilarious image in my mind like them laying bricks up <laughs> And they're still wearing like old world garb, like yeah. oi! <laughs> they're all in their big newsy caps. There you go. Um, yes. The French have their pencil thin mustaches mm-hmm. and suspenders, suspenders yeah. galore, because yeah. they hadn't invented belt loops yet. Yeah. When were belt loops invented? Way, way sooner than you thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> that and the tie. <laughs> oh, classic. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's setting up for Paddington Three. Maybe that's what they'll do. They'll do like some kind of. You know, I hope it. Yeah, European I, I am. Yeah, I'm hopeful for Paddington Three, even though it's been disrupted by the pandemic. And I mean, who knows? Like, the, <laughs> we've seen a lot of uh, trilogies not conclude properly, and I hope <laughs> I hope this one does it justice. Um. Well, in a, in a bit of kismet, we're we're recording this on the weekend after uh, Patrick H. Willems did a, a YouTube video explaining like where why trilogies go wrong. And so he does, yeah. And it, look, I'm not I'm not going to advertise his videos. I think, you know, they're very hit and miss. <laughs> then why'd you mention his name? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because he mentions, you know, he's he's a big booster of Paddington because obviously all white nerdy men are yeah. these days. <laughs> all white nerdy beta males. You know? <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, he mentions you know Paddington Three, and he was his kind of hope that they wouldn't actually end up making it because he thinks Paddington Two is a is an impeachable movie. It, it cannot be improved upon, so therefore it does not need a sequel. But I'm just like, why not make? F- there's no like, it's not an encapsulating story. Make five billion of them. I don't care. Yeah, make a series. Make like a what's the new SpongeBob show like uh, Camp Crustacean or something? Or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's all. I don't know. Paramount Plus. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever. Make that show. Just make it. Make a cartoon like they used to do in the in the eighties and nineties. Like you had your big film, and then you had like the Saturday morning cartoon. Just do that. It's fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, Ben Wishaw probably needs the work. He'll take it. <laughs> no, I, I think he can, he can afford to be choosy. Okay. Um, he'll wait till those uh, residual checks from No Time to Die come in. <laughs> oh yes, of yeah. course. <laughs> oh. But. In any event, yeah. <laughs> Paddington and Paddington 2, good movies. Thumbs up from us. <laughs> Certified fresh from us. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of embarrassing that, you know, 
Rotten Tomatoes has reached out to us yet for our official, you know, stamp of proof. Like, how do yeah. they decide how a, how a publication becomes like a, a a true critic, according to their little like metrics? I don't know. Well, you're allowed to. You and I are allowed to submit reviews of our own, like we do on IMDb and Letterboxd and the such and the like. So. Oh. Yeah. Granted, well, granted, it, granted, it won't come with the imperature of uh, being a critic officially. It will be an audience rating, but yeah. Oh no. Well, I thought like yeah like. Because I thought like it was like a verified thing on like on Twitter. Like you need a little check mark. They need to like check you out and be like, okay, you're approved. Okay, yeah. so now we your now we move your is, yeah, yeah now we move your reviews from audience to critic, where it really belongs. And, you know, I, I'm hoping we can like eventually tip the scales so now they're nice and balanced instead of like these you know exaggerated you know certified fresh according to audiences. Boo, flat on you know <laughs> critics or whatever. So these dichotomies, I, they're bad for us guys. I know. I I don't care. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes is a useless uh, measure of a, a film's quality, so... Wow. Shots fired. Yeah. Shots fired. I mean, they all are. Is Metacritic any better? Not really. I mean... I mean, Verizon's not gonna come and knock... Who owns, who owns Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> I, uh, it is Warner, Warner Media. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we need, like, we need a flowchart ready at all times. It's just, yeah. like... This is subsidiary of this, subsidiary of this. Yeah, it's the illusion of choice. Yes. There you um, go. Yes. Rotten Tomatoes is a Warner property. Uh, I'm sure uh, Metacritic is part of Hulu, which is now part of Disney, which is now part of, yeah. Oy vey. Oy yeah. Vey. I'm so exhausted talking about it. Yeah. Well, let's, John, let's bring the energy back up. All right. Oh, that's a great yeah. idea. Yes. Okay. Imagine you're on stage. Blackout. <laughs> what's what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? I know. Um, we'll, we'll put you... Um, <laughs> we'll highlight you. <laughs> Get ready for your one-man show, John. And it's going to start with the triggering of a bright, beautiful spotlight. 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 The number one threat is bears. <laughs> Folks, they will kill you. Hey. There's no. I'm trying. Oh, fuck. It's <laughs> like this is my moment, <laughs> and I blew it. Yeah. And I blew, blew it. it. <laughs> I could have done any show to him, and I and I had nothing. I blew it. It's just completely done. I should have done anything. Goes. <laughs> At least know the opening words to that one. Anyway, well, it's funny that we were talking about you know subsidiaries and Warner Media because I was I was going to I was going to do a very broad spotlight uh, about a particular streaming service, HBO Max, because guys. We really have to be grateful. There's never been a better time to be alive because we are currently in a renaissance, okay? And that is the Gene Smart renaissance, all right? <laughs> Gene Smart. I I thought you were going to say Gene Parmesan. <laughs> no. We were going to go, ah! <laughs> no. no. I'm talking about Gene Shart. Uh, yeah. Gene Shart. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I am talking... <laughs> Slip there. Somebody's got to use the restroom. <laughs> I'm talking about Jean Smart, and she is on not one but two shows currently on HBO Max. She uh, just premiered Hacks, which is a half-hour comedy starring her, and then um, she also has a supporting role in uh, Mayor of Easton, which is a a true crime, uh, not true crime, it's not based on anything real, but it's like, it's, you know, the latest 
Big Little Lies from you know HBO. American Max. American Broadchurch and Happy yes, Valley. Right? Exactly. <laughs> actually, yes, American Broadchurch is the perfect way to describe it. It's Broadchurch, but in reverse. It's the cynical one that's you know from the hometown. It's the you know peppy like we can get this done. Who's the outsider? All right. And uh, instead of an idea seaside town, it's a town where all the girls are pregnant at fifteen or they're dead from meth. So <laughs> it's kind of a bummer. Um, great. But she's great in that show. Uh, Hacks. I, I don't want to fully recommend that one yet because it's only two episodes in but it's it's pretty funny to start um it's leaning a little bit to do you know the premise of that show no idea i just okay. know they're promoting the hell out of it now that it's out on streaming services and i see the ads everywhere yes uh so hacks is about a um uh, gene smart plays this kind of older comedian who's had this like legendary run of vegas shows she has a residency in vegas that's like running on like 30 years she's done like thirty thousand shows like something insane like that um but, you know, she's kind of, like, long in the tooth, and the promoters are like, hey, why don't we, uh, you know, edge you out, like, start to roll things back a little bit. Um, which, obviously, she she will not admit that she's ever in decline or that she's kind of, you know, like, uh, uh, long in the tooth at all. Mm-mm, no, sir. Uh, meanwhile, the kind of agency that represents her, they have this kind of young upstart comedy writer, like, 24, 25, who just got canceled for bad tweets. <laughs> um <laughs> and totally relatable totally normal exactly (laughs) yes um so she got kicked off the show she was writing on and now she needs something to do um and so they kind of like pair her up said hey why don't you write jokes for her you know this will give this will get you off her backs and then i'll give her some kind of like fresh material to kind of like stage comeback not that she really needs it that's kind of the interesting thing about the show is that you know uh gene smart's character i should probably have the imdb page up because i don't remember any names whatsoever (laughs) (laughs) okay but, you know, she, what I appreciate about the show is that they could have, they kind of play nuanced with her career because they, they show her as very busy. Like the opening act, like they're kind of like showing like what it's like to be at the top, quote unquote, top of your game versus, you know, the Lily Briar they're hiring. She's like slipping into like 10 a.m. And, you know, that's like, there's this kind of like, maybe it's the economy of like, oh, the, the older generation, they work so hard. These millennials are so, they're so useless and entitled. Obviously, yes. <laughs> but I think it's this, like, this I agree with you. <laughs> but I think it's, it's more to more uh, illustrate the kind of divide in their careers because, you know, Jean Smart's character is just like she's constantly running around. She's like on a jet plane to do like some kind of QVC special, and then she's got to like go do a photo shoot for a calendar she's doing, and then she's got to go back and do her show that night. And so she's just like always jet setting. She's never rude. She's never a diva. She just like doesn't have time. So if she is mean to you, it's just like because she's curt and she just doesn't have time. So like there's come there's a very like kind of very like nuanced illustration of just how like busy superstars can get. And, you know, it's like she's never, like, rude to anybody, like, lower than her. She'll offer to do anything she can. She's just, like, she's just, like, I've got so much to do. I just have to, like, do it. And that's kind of the other thing of, like, talking about her in, like, a creative rut. Like, she worked so hard to get here. And now she's just, like, doing it on autopilot. (laughs) And so, you know, she's, like, getting up on stage every night doing the same jokes in, like, the same order. And it's – so I think it's, like, it's one of those shows that's, like, feels a little bit too Inside Baseball, which HBO loves. They love their Inside Baseball. They love shows about writers written by writers. But, uh, you know, I think think – Or or Entourage, um, which was written by nobody. (laughs) (laughs) What about Ballers? Does anyone remember Ballers? Um. But yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty clever show, and I'm interested to see where they go with it. But the one show I do really want to recommend that you check out if you really want to see Gene Smart at her finest is Watchmen, 2019. Okay. Yeah. So I I'm a I'm a I'm a Watchmen fan. 
Uh, I really enjoy the the comic book itself. I was a little skeptical of this this one, uh, this effort mm-hmm. on HBO. Um, I know the uh, the notices have been positive. Uh, <laughs> Variety said it does buffo buffo ratings. Um, <laughs> Um, Nielsen shines. I, yes. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny because I am not actually that much of a fan of the original comic book. And um, okay. what I appreciate about the show is that it, it kind of makes it more contemporary. And what it smartly does, like as opposed to like the t- 2009 film, which we will not mm-hmm. discuss. But, you know, it's like it, it, it kind of smartly shows that these costume vigilantes are losers like none of them mm-hmm. are cool uh, with the exception of <laughs> regina king character sister knight she's the only one who like approximates cool even though mm-hmm. she's still very much human and we see her like kind of like struggle and, and kind of like get the crap kicked out of her at times she's the only one that kind of like maintains a certain level of dignity the rest of them are just complete <laughs> fools um <laughs> and so gene smart's character in it she's playing um the original silk specter she's playing ah. uh laura blake so she's yeah. playing the future version of Laura Blake, who's now an FBI agent who's tasked with like catching costume vigilantes, because costume vigilantes are supposed to be outlaws, with the exception mm-hmm. of Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's a lot of world building that I can't just get into. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's very complicated. Uh, for some reason, because of this thing in New York, now so- smartphones were never invented, so everyone's running around with beepers. It's very strange. <laughs> but yet they have teleportation <laughs> okay. devices. Like It's very weird, like the world building on the show, but very well realized. Um, one mm-hmm. of my favorite little tidbits is that... Um, they're talking about, you know, these two characters are casually talking about, like, movies, and they're talking about this great 1992 film that Spielberg did, and it's, like, it's all black and white, except there's this one scene with this red cloak. It's really beautiful. Yeah, what was that movie called? And I can't remember the title, but it's not Schindler's List, because, <laughs> again, it's an alternate timeline. He did yeah. the movie about something else, but he took that shot, because it's still, you know, <laughs> so, like, I, and I've watched that show four times, because it's just, like, <laughs> All right. It's it's a it's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a puzzle box, but it's a really well-made puzzle box because it's like everything everything fits. You know, time travel eventually kind of gets involved. Not really time travel, but you know, Doctor Manhattan shows up late in the series, and then it's like time gets involved. It's really smartly edited. Like all the setups are paid off. There's a lot of great imagery, like a lot of great um, metaphors. So yeah, it's just a really good show. Yeah. Okay. I can't I can't get over how much I I think about that show. <laughs> all right. <laughs> So like Watchmen itself, it'll affect your brain. It's exactly, <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't know why they didn't pick it up for another season. I know, I know people were like okay with that because of how well done and contained this first season was. Um, but I think it was Damon Lindelof who just like just didn't want to do it. Although, you know, that's never stopped mm. people from making more yeah. Watchmen when the original writer didn't want to do anymore. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm kind of surprised. But yeah, so okay. I mean, I wouldn't mind because yeah, it also ends on like kind of. A, I I love a, a cliffhanger that's kind of left unopened, uh, with the exception of like Inception, which was complete bullshit. But it kind of ends <laughs> on it. You could argue that it kind of ends on an Inception-esque moment. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> the John taking a strong stain there. I like cliffhanger endings, except when I don't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's got to be done right, damn it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So spotlight on Gene Smart. Uh, yes. Who's doing amazing things with HBO? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I wanted to do another film centered around kids. Uh, well, actually, that sounds wrong. <laughs> basically, basically um, for Greg's spotlight, Greg loves kids. <laughs> I love kids. I, I I go around playgrounds and say hello. <laughs> like, no, uh, I, I was trying to make some tenuous connection to Paddington. Instead, I'll I'll say this. Um, so 
a couple of weeks ago, I uh, waxed poetic about uh, the new world, the new cut that's on the Criterion Collection. So I've got a I've got a Terrence Malick uh, size uh, uh, itch to scratch, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm seeking out like kind of artistic visions like that. See where the next one's coming because um, Terrence Malick is up getting up there in age and obviously won't be around forever, and uh, the bank accounts will be running dry uh, <laughs> of some investors if they keep uh, if they keep going uh, producing movies by for him. Um, so I so I wanted to see um some new uh movies and obviously he's got a lot of admirers and a lot of imitators um but John you and I know that uh success may have a thousand fathers but uh <laughs> failure is an orphan and so I want to talk about some of the orphans um oh no <laughs> well this one this one's yeah this one is not a a an out and out failure I think um if we are going to go with that metaphor dad is a little estranged dad will leave for a few months at a time <laughs> Okay, uh, now you're now you're stretching this metaphor a little yeah, bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, the movie is called We the Animals, and it's based on a. It came out um, about two years ago. It's on Netflix. It was on my queue for the longest time, and I'm trying to go through it um, before I cancel Netflix for good. Yes. <laughs> and you'd be right to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, We the Animals is um, is like the Tree of Life. It's about a, a young. It's a young coming of age uh like pre-adolescent tale um it's about a boy and his two brothers and um they're growing up in in kind of a, a unspecified area we learn later that it's it's um eastern pennsylvania um like mayor of Easttown, but um <laughs> but uh that's not that's not really specific and i think that's that's one that's one problem that we have here is that it it it, it wants to be like it wants to be it wants to evoke this uh nostalgia or this kind of um this kind of reverie that that childhood had in the same manner that uh, Terrence Malick did with the tree of life, like, you know, quick cuts and the camera's always moving and things aren't, aren't, aren't uh, exactly clear or concrete. Um, But what it's kind of lacking is like specificity Mm. or like it, uh, uh, for some reason, like it's, it's artistic ambitions aren't, aren't hitting the same way that Terrence Malick does. And I think that's because um, it, it is like going for what's like the most profound. So he's got these two brothers but I can't tell you anything about them or what their like personality is. Like you just know that they're like rambunctious in a very like ambiguous ways. They're running around yelling. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, um, but they don't really have like wants or needs or like personalities. We know that our hero is very artistic. So he every night he he crawls under the bed and 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 draws and writes in his little journal. And that's a very important like MacGuffin later. Um, but we don't know about the other two brothers. Um, how they get in trouble is again like very ambiguous. Um, it I I couldn't help but compare it to I think a better version of this story, which is the Florida Project. Now that mm. is something that is that is a movie where the camera doesn't really move at all, and instead you see these characters in space, and it's very clear about who these characters are, where their parents come from, like what it is, like where it's set in terms of like the outskirts of Orlando and like just outside this vision of uh, of of Disneyland like Disney World like yeah. you know this ideal place and and we're outside we're on the other, we're on the other side of the highway from that well <laughs> like I, I think the I think the the closest kind of point of comparison with this movie I'm remembering it now when like now mm-hmm. that I'm looking it up I think the closest point of comparison is probably Beasts of the Southern Wild do you remember that yes movie? that too yes, yes that's the other comparison I was going to make too um, yeah now that one that one kind of takes place more in like the fantasy land this one yes. kind of wants to have it both ways so when he's writing and drawing down in his book like um it's it's like collage and and like his his drawings come to life um but they are way the drawings are way too good for an 11 year old (laughs) for one thing um so that's like that's like one thing 
that's like one thing that you don't believe. And also like there are other moments where it's like, okay, this can either be really human and really real, or it can be really profound. Let's try to be really profound here. <laughs> um, so there's a moment when um, his dad's struggling and their uh, his truck breaks down, and um, and he breaks down and um, in tears once it finally gets um, towed back to their house. Um, which, by the way, they have a, a a nice house or whatever. They're supposed to be living in poverty or whatever. But <laughs> like, I would I would love that house on the outskirts of town with the big windows. But anyway, um, and his dad breaks down and, and says something like, "I can't escape it. I can't escape." Like the implication being like poverty or something like that. But like, I thought it would have been more impact like if you could actually see your parents like you know show this kind of emotion like if it was more quiet or like focus on the kid's reaction or something and instead he went for this line that um as roger ebert says before just clangs just like you know sticks out like a sore thumb like and and you don't believe it as a as a you know inspired by a true story um and and so like uh it's also kind of a a a loss of innocence movie um that the kids also like discovering his sexuality and like i i can't speak to the veracity or or honesty of that but um you know like (laughs) Um, it, that part, like, and it doesn't also feel like a through line. It just felt like, uh, the movie, like, like Terrence Malick's movies, it's kind of like, you know, kind of slapped together, but like, it's, it's missing some of the texture. It's missing some of like the pieces of what makes it like a Terrence Malick movie. Great. And it's, it's sort of there. Like you see the imitation of it, but you don't see it like kind of come to a complete whole. I mean, that said, I think there's, there's a lot of talent on display. The kid is great. The, the star of the, the star of the movie is, is outstanding. Um, and obviously, like, it's very well produced in terms of, like, cutting from, you know, scenes of the kids running around to these, like, little animated drawings. And, you know, like, that's all well done. It just doesn't it come together to anything other than, like, an audition for itself. And, like, you yeah. know, then, like, um, a, 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 an art piece to be admired, like, you know, when... I don't know, maybe the book it's based on, like, uh, is a, a better reflection of that, but who knows? I mean, I'm probably not Well, I'm like... It, so. <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to like be down on a movie I've never seen, but it's just like yeah. it, it even even at this point like it's funny that you keep comparing it to Terrence Malick. I feel like this movie is just kind of aping a lot of things we've already seen before like the kid who's like exploring fantasy versus reality. It's like that's very much a monster's call. Or monster calls. That's very much like um I Kill Giants, which I I watched a few years ago and I wasn't particularly impressed with that movie either. And again, it's like, you know, a child using fantasy to escape their harsh reality. It's like it, it I don't know. It, it it feels a bit overdone. So also to kind of like use a style which is yes, very artistic. It's it still kind of feels a little overdone or at least like <laughs> I'm just now remembering everything you're talking about this movie, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it looks like one of those again." So is that is that wrong of me to to think that? No, I th- I think that says more about us being cynical, and uh, maybe maybe if I can cast my mind back to 2004, 2005, when I was seeking out these kinds of movies, like, and it, and that's the thing. Maybe I'm like trying to get back to that, like seeing like, oh, what's the independent movie like, you know, yeah. hid, hidden away at the library or in Hollywood mm-hmm. Video or you know, or deep in the Criterion Collection or Netflix, like where are those movies that you know kind of lighten up my world? But again, you and I are older, cynical. Like we've seen every, it feels like we've seen everything at this point, <laughs> and so yeah, it does. It just doesn't hit the same. So it's it's not just again, it's not the movie's not just saying something about itself and to like kind of consumed with itself. It's also saying about something about us, about as reviewers. So mm. um, I don't know. That's that's not where I intended to go with the spotlight, but that's where it ended up. So <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs>
There we are. But it, yes, but I want to encourage everybody to still seek out those independent the pictures, like you know, because um, you know you may not be fully rewarded like like this movie, but sometimes you will be. So. <laughs> That's my that's my encouragement today. See, but again, like that's the reason why I never want to go to the theaters again. I'm just going to be disappointed. <laughs> and John, that's go. not true. What what happens when you Paddington Three comes down the road? Like, will you want to see it? Uh, will you want it? Will you want to be in a joyous, raucous theater filled with children who won't shut up and <laughs> crying to their mom about needing to go to the bathroom? <laughs> you know, Lord knows what variant of COVID will be on at that point. So I'll have to decide by then. Because yeah, you know. <laughs> okay. Even if you make the kids wear masks, they won't keep them on. I'll tell you that much, these kids. Yeah. <laughs> How many booster shots I got to take? Forget it. <laughs> I know it's best for my child. CDC yes. shouldn't tell me how to raise my child. Yeah. I'm very cognizant of what I put in my body. <laughs> Which is why I'm going to McDonald's later. <laughs> there you go. And having this frozen food. <laughs> there you go. Ugh. Well, Greg, I think that nicely wraps it up, right? I mean, there's nothing else we need to do for this episode. Wrong. Trivia oh. challenge. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I was hoping I could get out of it. Yeah, I could never I get out of it. Yes, I was going to try to integrate, uh, uh, what's it, uh, uh, Aunt, uh, Aunt Lucy's uh, long car, uh, red stare, or oh. what, what, did, what did Paddington call it? <laughs> the, the hard stare. When yeah. someone doesn't mind their manners. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good gag, of Paddington. Yes. John, speaking of Paddington, mm-hmm. we just looked at a movie where an actor was entirely replaced uh, over the course of pro- post-production. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a a not frequent occurrence, but it has happened, and so that's what I'm going to quiz you on. Um, so, I, the title of this game is "Boring, Cancelled, or Died." You don't just have to tell me what movie. If, name the movie in which the actor was replaced, but you also have to tell me the reason why they were replaced. And Got it's it. one of three reasons. They were boring, they were canceled, or they died during production. Got it. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's do yes. it. I'm, I'm actually yes. excited for this one. This one's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I think it'll do well here. Um, okay. Yeah. Because, again, it doesn't happen very often, so these are these are some notable examples. Also, this is... Also, you're quizzing is... me on something that happened in the last decade. Typically, yeah. you're like, <laughs> the Lumiere brothers discovered their... <laughs> yeah, no. It does. Yes. A, it doesn't go that back that far. And then B, I was very stringent with the criteria. This mm-hmm. There is... Like video evidence of the actors in their performance. This is not like, oh, uh, Matthew McConaughey was cast, but then uh, scheduling conflicts came up and, and Matt Damon replaced him. Got you it. Know, f- uh, yeah, in pre-production or whatever. No, no. This is all. Th- these there's actual video evidence of the performance on camera, and then all the time and money went into it was flushed down the drain to replace <laughs> them with another actor. Yeah, and they still got their big fat golden parachutes. So. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So number one. Eric Stoltz is replaced by Michael J. Fox. What was the movie, and why was he replaced? Boring, canceled, or died? The movie was Back to the Future, mm-hmm. and I believe he was boring. Like they wanted a, they wanted a bigger, you know, he had just hit it big with Family Ties, so they needed a bigger star, and <laughs> which again shows that Hollywood is truly not a meritocracy because Eric Stoltz is a star, folks. Okay, <laughs> John, that is correct. However, your your reasoning is slightly wrong. Um, if you do look at that footage, Eric Stoltz is just wrong for the for the movie. He's he's much he's a much more serious actor. Mm. Like Michael J. Fox, like can kind of play like the lighthearted, like whoa, this is heavy. Whereas Eric Stoltz is like this is heavy. Oh, <laughs> you know? <all> right. Yeah. <laughs> so you could see in that old footage it was it was he was wrong 
for the part. Um, again, it's a shame they had to like go two weeks into shooting and lose I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars um, oh. to do that, but hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. But it, anyway, all right, mm. correct on both counts. Okay, okay, number two, Harvey Keitel is replaced by Martin Sheen. What was the movie, and why was he replaced? Born, canceled, or died? Ooh, uh, he was. You know what I. I got nothing. I got nothing on this one. I really, I'm really completely blanking. Like my only best guess would be like the the West Wing because that's the last thing of any note. I think no, there my, are no TV. There are no TV shows on it on this one, John. I've got nothing. I yeah, I can't think of the last movie. All right, Sheen was in. That's the thing. Okay, John, are you sure? Because they made an entire documentary about the the hellish production of this movie. Oh, you yeah. Again, I was trying to like yeah. That's too far back. Apocalypse Now, and. Yeah. Um, Oh gosh, I guess drugs count as canceled, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, like Back to the Future, he was just wrong for the part, and Francis Ford Coppola was like, "No, get him out of here." And so he replaced him with Martin Sheen, who nearly died in production. He had a heart attack while they were shooting. <laughs> yeah, because they were all doing blow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So boring. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. God, Harvey Keitel, such a fucking square. <laughs> just do some, just do some coke with us, man. Okay. Well, hopefully, well, hopefully um, you'll, you'll uh, redeem yourself with this third question. All right. Kevin Spacey is replaced by Christopher Plummer. What was the movie, and why was he replaced? Boring, canceled, or died? <laughs> he was replaced, <laughs> and all the money in the world. Correct. And he was canceled because he came out as gay. And believe <laughs> it or not, guys, in this world today, you know, for people who are, like, out and proud, okay, it is still dangerous, all right? <laughs> and it is still brave to do that, okay? And I can think of no other reason why he would be replaced in that role. So thank you for your time. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It's just a tragedy um, that uh, a, a member of our the LGBT community could be uh, crushed like this. It's, it's, it's very sad. Um <laughs> And what a statement. Um, <laughs> I may or may not have killed somebody. Also, I'm bi. Like, yeah. <laughs> Part of that. Look up that classic tweet um, to, get, to get proper credit. I don't know who wrote it, but yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, question number four. Buddy Epson is replaced by Jack Haley. What was the movie, and why was he replaced? The boring canceler died. Um... The movie. This one, this one, I'll confess. This one, I'll confess, is classic Hollywood. <laughs> okay, uh, this movie is uh, Two Roses for Marjorie, the nineteen eighty fifty four classic. Um, and he died of um, of asbestos poisoning because they had, you know, because all those sets were just nothing but asbestos, wall to wall asbestos. So yeah, yeah, that's my that's my <laughs> best guess. I'll I'll give you partial credit. So the movie was The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Ah. And Buddy and Buddy Epson nearly died. He was famous. That's right. The makeup. He was famous. Yes, he was famously cast as the Tin Man. However, whatever silver or paint they were using in the makeup gave him a horrible allergic reaction, and he was replaced by Jack Haley. So <laughs> that that one, yeah, that one, um, not so contemporary and not exactly living uh, strictly by the died rule, but um, still, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. All right. Question number five. Kel O'Neill is replaced by Paul Dano. What was the movie, and why was he replaced? Boring, canceled, or died? Oh, I believe this is There Will Be Blood, and it was boring because he just like he just couldn't show up that day or something like that, and so they already had Paul Dano, and they're like, well, you're playing brothers, so why don't you just come in and we'll just make them twins, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Correct on both counts. Yes. Nailed it, John. <laughs> Absolutely. He got the... I, th- I think the main reason was that he couldn't uh, handle the intensity of Daniel Day-Lewis, Um 
I mean, met Paul few da- people Paul could. Dan- yeah, <laughs> Paul Dano couldn't either, but, you know. <laughs> few people could. Come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, question six. I have, a, I have a little modification for you. All right. And it should give you a hint. All right. Jean-Claude Van Damme is replaced by Kevin Peter Hall. What was the movie, and why was he replaced? Boring, canceled, died, or goofy? <laughs> um, my best guess is Time Cop. Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry. So this person was replacing Jean-Claude Van Damme, or was... Yes. J- okay, so yeah. this is pre. I, I should probably explain. Yes, I should probably explain I'm using passive voice, because the, the final person is the one who appears in the final film. Okay, yes. Yeah. Okay, so, so the movie is Predator. And yes, it's because the original costume was too goofy, and I believe JVCD, God bless them, was a bit of a diva on set and was like, you know, the Predator needs to do more kick-ass action moves, guys. <laughs> uh, yes, one more reason, too short. He's only like 5'7", oh, okay. and everybody else in that cast is like 6'3 and above, so there you go. Well, yeah, okay. not exactly intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> All right, question seven. Bella Lugosi is replaced by Tom Mason. What was the movie, and why was he replaced? Ooh. Boring, canceled, or died? I believe it's died. And I believe the movie... Something by Ed Wood, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't name a single Ed Wood movie off the top of my head. What? Unbelievable. <laughs> I know. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Who knows? <laughs> Correct Amundo. <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> Score. Seriously, whenever I think Ed Wood, I think of Johnny Depp in the Tyler, in the Tim Burton movie. I don't know why. That that's that's probably for the best. Okay, <laughs> because his movies were as bad as they say, and he was an inventor and alcoholic, <laughs> and okay. not great. Yeah, not a great guy. Uh, oh, he was a crossdresser, so a uh, gay icon. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> again, I, erasure. I <laughs> yes, I apologize once again. Tragically canceled um, for being uh, for living his truth. Anyway, yes. all right, number eight. Samantha Morton is replaced by Scarlett Johansson. What was the movie, and why was she replaced? Boring, canceled, or died? Ooh. So this person replaced Scarlett Johansson? No, so Scarlett Johansson replaced Samantha Morton. Oh. Um, who? Since this does sound, sound recent, I want to go canceled, but I can't name the movie. Uh, Iron Man 2. Uh, no, not quite. Uh, ah, dang. I'll give, you, I'll give you a huge hint. It's a voice-only performance. Okay. Um, so, like Paddington, Samantha Morton was on set, and then they went to post production. They realized this and this doesn't work. Um, but then they replaced it with Scarlett Johansson, and it won critical acclaim, including an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for Spike Jones. Oh, oh, this is her. Yes. Ah. Yeah. I, you know, so, you didn't need to give me that clue. Okay. Now you're just <laughs> now you're just patronizing me. Come on. Yes, I am. That, John, what else is trivia challenge for? No, I guess that's to yes. lord over your superiority over your co-host. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number nine. Richard Harris is replaced by Michael Gambon. What was the movie, and why was he replaced? Um. So the movie was Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And nailed it. Nailed he it, was, Sean. He was replaced because he was dying. I don't think he was actually dead uh, at the point of replacement. But you know what? You could also say it as boring because, look, no no, no shade on Richard Harris. But look, <laughs> Michael Gambon does a better, like, Dumbledore. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> speaking ill of the dead, Sean, Sean, just pee on his grave, will you? <laughs> he leans too much into the old wizard stereotype. Michael Gambon has like a winking mischievousness to him where he's like, I have all the answers and I'm not going to tell you shit, kids. Bye. <laughs> like he later yeah. does now. The Princess Azkaban, he goes, what are you talking about? Good night. <laughs> he just waves him away. Goodbye. He's great. <laughs> Love him. Great movie. 
all right, fair enough. I we will give kudos to Michael Bingambon who lends his voice to Uncle Pazuzo or yes. Pastuzo <laughs> in Paddington and Paddington Two. So and uh, <laughs> Aunt is is played by uh, Dolores Umbridge. Uh, whose name I can never remember. I always call her Vera because she got an Academy Award <laughs> nomination for that movie, Vera. So that's why I'll always call her Vera or Dolores Umbridge. Right. <laughs> Is it Vera or Vera Drake? Or Oh, that's a good call. I think it might be just Vera Drake. Yeah, I think it might be her whole name. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie, but whatever. All right. All right, John, final question. Okay. And this is a toughie. All right? mm-hmm. this, this one you're really going to struggle with, okay? And it really deals with Hollywood royalty here. I mean, some big names. Okay, are you ready? Yes. All right. Crystalia is replaced by Tig Notaro. What was the movie, and why was he replaced? The boring canceled or died. <laughs> well, this one actually is probably the easiest because it is the most recent. What? And obviously, <laughs> obviously, it's from Tig Notaro's star-turning role on Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> and he was unfortunately Crystalia died by just having you know just a, a terrible boner-related accident. <laughs> no one knows where all those boners came from, but. You know, we we wish his family well. <laughs> I know it's just an absolute tragedy. Yes. Um, no, it's... see this this transcendent talent come out of nowhere, Chris Delia. <laughs> no, the movie is Army of the Dead, and uh, he was canceled because uh, he was texting underage woman. <laughs> Again, John, your eyes are glowing. You're occluded. You are. Yes. Your arms are outstretched, and you're glowing. You have once again asc- ascended to the right hand of God in this trivia challenge. <laughs> <laughs> So, way to go. You got more than half right, which is way better than me, but um, usually. <laughs> well, that one, I, I I mean, that one's a gimme, because, like, again, this is the kind of movie, this is the news I want. I want the hot goss, the juice, okay? <laughs> Not like, oh, uh, uh, Archibald Leach, he is now known as Cary Grant. <laughs> <laughs> John, see, you remembered that though. Archibald Leach is indeed. Yes, you're the, right. The now birth I, name of now Cary Grant. Yes. Now I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm educating you. You're there learning you things. Thanks to me. Um, and also, I wanted to. I do want to point out. I had a, a really hard time finding examples of a an actor being canceled and then replaced. I mm. again, it's only two of the answers in this ten question quiz. Um, so it doesn't happen very often. Um, but God willing, it will happen more often, and we will have a real cancel culture. Yes. I, I'm all for it. <laughs> I mean, this is proof that cancel culture, the fact that you just came up with two examples is proof that cancel culture is run amok. Okay, there's too much cancel culture. <laughs> no, that I, should, I, I That number should be zero. One person being canceled is too much. <laughs> disagree. It should be 100%. Everybody should get canceled. <laughs> there you go. They should throw out uh, Death of the Nile and start from scratch, because that movie stars uh, Army Hammer canceled for weird sex and cannibal stuff <laughs> uh latia wright um who shared some anti-vax content on social media and gal Gadot for um supporting uh, a terrible apartheid state um <laughs> but kenneth branagh is an unimpeachable okay his his Absolutely. views That's are true. nothing but pure okay yeah He'll he'll win the day. Yes. <laughs> oh God. Now that I'm saying this, the next day it'll be like I support the monarchy. The monarchy is great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need to expel all the all the all the colored folks out of out of the UK. No, no, <laughs> Kenneth. No. Imaginary <laughs> Kenneth. We racist <laughs> Kenneth. We just made up in our heads. <laughs> Well, again, I had a great time with that quiz. If you want to have more good times, mm-hmm. we are, of course, on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we got an Instagram page as well. Go ahead and give us a follow on there. And uh, whatever podcast service you're listening to this on, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, 
the overcast. John, name another one, quick. Uh, <laughs> a cast. I don't think we're on Anchor because Anchor's weird. Anchor's like phone okay. only and strange, so I don't, I, I don't fuck with that shit. But uh, yeah, we're we're on all of them. And if you give us five stars, that'll help push push us upwards, and we'll and we'll go viral, and you'll help other people reach us, and we'll build this aspiring snobs community together. It isn't that grand, guys. Yeah, and we'll find more movies to talk about, and we won't have to. <laughs> no, I mean Paddington was delightful, but um, yes, again, doesn't doesn't follow the format of the other films. So if you do have suggestions for us, um, whether they be beloved family films like this, or again, old crackers starring uh, <laughs> old crackers of a film starring Archibald Leach and, and Catherine Hepburn, uh, we'd like to hear those suggestions too. So um, either include them in social media or email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com. Yes, indeed. And now all that's left is to tell you what we what we will be watching. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> Damn. Um, no. No retakes. No. Damn it. <laughs> now all that's left is to tell you what we'll be watching next week. Well, um, in, <laughs> because of um, our our poor LGBTQ brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who are obviously being canceled left and right, obviously exactly. not being allowed to express themselves, um, mm-hmm. not not in the streets um, with the sponsorship of Bank of America and Chase. <laughs> um, <laughs> We'll we'll be uh, revisiting some um, I I guess not historical film they're, they're not like Stonewall let's say that but they are um, they are admired and uh, and worthy of rediscussion and so we're going to be looking at uh, the classic 1958 cross dressing comedy some like it hot exactly yeah which you and neither you and you nor I had seen mm. have seen before so yes um, I, I I don't know if that counts as trans inclusive inclusive but uh you know what I'm going to I'm going to take it I'm going to say yes yeah. trans I do trans th- this podcast supports trans people okay <laughs> and yeah. we do it through some like a dot <laughs> yeah there, there is a, uh, a tacit endorsement of gay marriage at the end of it so. there you go <laughs> see yeah very ahead of its time very ahead of its yeah. time <laughs> Well, well um, now that John, we've been canceled. I, <laughs> yeah. And I have no way to end confidently in the end of this episode. So, John, I, I give it to you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. John, over to you. <laughs> and until next time, keep aspiring. Uh, big musical number. We won't get home for Relax and listen to the rain on the roof. Go blunk, blank, a blink, blunk, blank, a blink. Let's have a drink and shelter from the showers. Rain, rain, don't go away. Fill up the sky. Rain through the night. We'll stay cozy and dry. Listen to the rain on the roof. Go pit, pity pat. Plunk a blink, blank, pity that. Listen, take to the...